continue going through the book of Luke that Pastor Derek got us started on last week. Uh, an amazing, amazing account of Christ and uh, his really bursting onto the scene as we're going to slowly work our way through here in these first few chapters. But if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke 1 and let's stand together uh, for the reading of God's word. Last week we just read verses 1 through 4, but today we're going to read verse 5 all the way down through verse 25 and get the birth of John the Baptist foretold. Uh, so Luke 1 and verse number 5 says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and righteous requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of the incense burning. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will not drink any wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands before God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and were wondering at his delay in the sanctuary. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And it happened when the days of his priestly service were fulfilled and he went back home. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, conceived, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my disgrace from among men. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, your word speaks powerfully. And I pray that you might speak powerfully to us today through it. That we would see not just the beginning of your plan to unfold, to send the Messiah. 
But also, Lord, we would see that you are the God who is faithful and at work in all things. Uh, In those times and in our times. In the days of Zechariah and Elizabeth and in the days that we live in right now. Lord, I pray that you would give us faith that when days are silent and when it seems dark, we would know you are still at work. So, Lord, while we wait for the day when you return and you establish your kingdom and you bring justice and truth to this world, oh, Lord, give us faith. Give us faith to know that even if we can't see it or hear it or, or observe it, you are, in fact, at work bringing about your plans for your glory. Oh, Lord, I pray you would help us to trust you and you might use this passage to fill us with hope and faith. And we pray it today in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, this is the breaking of the silence. Silent no more. I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes when you come to church, it fills you with joy because you say, man, the Lord is in this place, all right? I see the Lord in his people. I I feel the Lord's presence and his praises as we sing to him. This is a a blessing to be in the Lord's presence. It, It feels like, you know, whatever is going on out in the world is going on. But when we come here, we meet with God's people. We hear him. We worship him. We're in his presence. It's, it's like God is not silent here because we hear him speaking to us through his word and, and even by his spirit through other people. And sometimes, though, outside of here doesn't feel like that. It feels quiet. Sometimes we kneel to pray or bow our heads or, or throw up our hands in exasperation to call out to the Lord and seek his help and It seems quiet. Everything's still. No answer appearing. Maybe it's someone who's struggled and is needing hope and confidence and they feel weak and defeated. Or or someone who's in a broken relationship and longs for it to be mended and cries out and prays and seeks and tries. And yet it feels silent feels like the Lord is not at work. Well, for all those people and many more, this passage is for you. This passage is for every one of us who at times has wondered, Lord, where are you? What are you doing? When are you going to help? I know you're going to answer my prayer, but I don't see it. How? Now, Luke begins the story, as we looked at last week, by just making it crystal clear that what he's telling us is reliable and true. Uh, If Luke was making up a fairy tale to get people to just cope with all their problems by believing in some God in the sky, then he's doing a very poor job of it. Because how do you introduce a fairy tale? You introduce it with long ago in a place far, far away. You know, you you make it vague and unverifiable. But that's not the kind of hope that Luke wants us to have. And, And that's why he brings out specific details over and over. He ties all of these things to specific people and a specific time and a specific place. And he does that to reassure us. And he does that for us today to see that God is silent no more. Luke's report begins with introducing us to some unlikely parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth. This is not technically the beginning of Jesus' life. We're not introduced to Mary and Joseph. We're introduced to the one who is going to prepare the way for Jesus. This is the first prophet in a long time for Israel. So in this chapter, well, in this portion of the chapter we're going to look at today, I want you to see that God is silent no more. I want you to see that he is always at work 
And this passage ought to help us to wait in faith and confidence when it seems he is silent and when he seems he is not at work. So I divided this just into two points. So that means we'll be done in about 10 minutes uh, today. No, not actually, but uh, two points. And under each one, there's several statements that I want you to see. But the first point is very simple. God is always at work in the world. Always at work in the world. Notice how Luke introduces this in verse number five. He says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Not far, far away, but in the days of Herod. Now, Herod is a famous king uh, because Herod, this is the Herod the Great. There's a number of Herods that show up in the New Testament and in history. But this is the one known as Herod the Great. He did great building projects, but he was also known for being great at being bad. Okay, he is a notorious king. He's a king who was always fearful of someone else taking his throne, uh, which you may remember from the story as Matthew recounts how the wise men came to see Herod and ask where the king was going to be born. And Herod, in response, slaughtered the babies of Bethlehem because he did not want a challenger to his throne. Herod did not just kill other people's children that he thought might challenge his throne. He killed his own sons, who he feared were trying to take over from him. So as Luke starts this off by saying, well, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, we might read it to say, well, in the dark days, in the times of rough, rough times for Israel. I mean, Israel's history up to this point um, has been kind of a whirlwind. Uh, they, they were rescued out of Egypt, led out by Moses, wandered in the wilderness 40 years, finally got to the promised land, conquered it, settled, and then they had hundreds of years of trouble before God raises up a king and David is the king that unites the nation and really leads them to experience a little bit of the promises that that God had made to his people. Now, Saul was the first king, but David comes in as the man chosen by God, the man after God's own heart. And David is the one who God gives the promises to. The promise that a child of David, a descendant of David, will rule forever. David is promised an eternal kingdom. And we'll look at those promises a little later because they'll come up later in chapter 1. But the promises were not fulfilled right away. David's son Solomon became king. David had amassed all kinds of wealth and materials. Solomon began building the temple. The kingdom seemed to be prospering. Things seemed to be going great. It looked like what God had promised was being fulfilled. And then if you know the story of the Old Testament, you know that things quickly unraveled. Solomon, instead of faithfully following after the Lord, began to worship other gods. His hearts departed from the Lord, and as a result, his kingdom was divided at his death, and Judah and Israel became separate nations and had a rough history. Um, Lots of bad in their history until eventually God carries the whole nation into captivity, just as he promised. He promised if they obeyed him in the land, they'd be blessed. But if they disobeyed, they'd be carried away. So they're carried away into captivity. Seventy years of exile. And then God sends the voice of the prophets again, calling the people to faithfulness, calling them to rebuild the temple, to go back to the land. The exiled people are home in Israel. They rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. They have already rebuilt the temple. Things are looking good. They're wondering if now the Messiah will arise. Now the next king will come and they will rule uh, over Israel. And Israel will be a fulfillment of the promises. But there is a gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament account. There's about 400 years 
that are referred to as years of silence. It's silence because there's no prophet standing up and speaking. There's no more scripture being given. The people are waiting for the promises, but they're not coming. What comes is more trouble. Uh, There is revolts. There is the Greeks taking over. There are the Romans taking over. And now Israel has a king, Herod, who has been set up over them by the Romans. And he's not a good guy. Listen, darkness does not equal defeat. It is in these dark days that Luke begins his story. It's right here against the backdrop of a king who was a ruthless and wicked man that Luke sets this tale of Jesus coming into the world. And we go from Herod in the palace, who is a name known by everyone, to a guy that most people didn't know, Zechariah, the priest. Not Zechariah, the high priest, but one of the priests. Uh, There were thousands of priests in Zechariah's day. Uh, There were so many priests that they had to group them into sections to decide who could serve at the temple. This was established way before, back in the days of David. Uh, You'll notice here, it says in verse 5, there was a priest, Zechariah, of the division of Abijah. Uh, So this, uh, this is just one group of the of the priests and so Zechariah comes when it's his turn this this guy is going to come and receive a special vision but I, I want you to be reassured that when darkness comes it does not mean it does not mean defeat it does not mean God is not at work it's amazing that the scoffers in the world today, the, the ones who don't believe, even some that used to claim to be Christian but now deny the faith, they will always point to the problems in the world and say, look at this. How can there be a God if this is going on? They point to atrocities. They point to tragedies and say, look, this means there's no God. But that's a terrible way to look at the world. Believers look at the problems in the world. They look at the darkness in the world and and they say, you know what? There is no hope unless there's a God. I mean, these atrocities demand justice and clearly no man can bring justice to these situations. Clearly not one of us can fix these horrific things. What we need is a God who is over all and who is going to judge the world. Friends, God is at work even when it's dark. His silence does not mean his absence. And Zechariah and Elizabeth are introduced as the perfect people to demonstrate this. Because look how they're described. In verse 6, they were both righteous in the sight of God. That is, that's a mouthful right there. Righteous in the sight of God. Does this mean they never sinned at all? No. Uh, No, but it means these are holy people. These are godly people. You know, this also means that you and I could be described in the same way. Could be. Are we righteous in the sight of God? Not just in the sight of other people who know the good parts about us. But God sees and says, these are righteous people. These are faithful people. May God help us to seek to be righteous in his eyes. But they're a faithful priestly family, blameless but barren. They wanted a child. They prayed for a child. They tried. But there's no child. They're kind of the perfect illustration here of Israel as a nation. They're longing for the kingdom to come and longing and waiting and waiting and nothing. But our disappointments often lead us to deny faith. Our disappointments lead us to question. But listen, our disappointments are not denials of who God is or what he is doing. 
Just because you cannot see it doesn't mean it's not happening. God's silence does not mean his absence. I was thinking about this this week. It's, it's amazing how often I get discouraged at disappointments um, or when things don't happen when I think they should. You know, why hasn't the Lord answered this prayer yet? Why hasn't uh, this been resolved? Why is this taking so long? <laughs> why is it delayed? But in, um, in other things, delays can be exciting. Have you ever been watching sports and all of a sudden it's coming to the end, it's about to get over, and then somebody ties up the score? And now there's a delay. You don't know who's going to win. And do you say, oh, I can't believe this. Delays are so discouraging. I quit. I'm not going to watch this anymore. Who does that? Nobody who's interested in the outcome. The delay, it heightens the excitement. It heightens the anticipation. It heightens our wonder at what's going to happen. How's it going to turn out? What, what things are going to happen to make this come out and our team win? Right? We get excited about it when it comes to sports. What if we took that same attitude to delays in life and said, Oh, Lord, I thought it was going to work out already, but I wonder how you're going to work now. I wonder what you're going to do here. I wonder what it is that's going to transpire before this gets wrapped up. I know that we're going to come out on the winning side. And I don't know that just because I'm eagerly cheering for my team. I know that because of your promises, right? I, I know you are going to be true. I know you're going to be faithful. How are you going to work this out? And that's an attitude of faith. That's an attitude we need. When things don't happen the way we want, it's no cause to throw up our hands and give up. If we're we're in this, if we believe in God, then we know that God is at work in the world. And and this darkness doesn't mean there's defeat. Silence doesn't mean there's absence. No, God is at work. So what do you do when it's dark, when it's quiet? Zechariah is, again, a great example. Um, What does Zechariah do? Verse number 8 It says, uh, now it happened while he was performing his priestly service before God in the order of his division. Now, that is just saying really the most mundane, kind of boring thing. Like, it's saying, hey, so what Zechariah did was when it was his turn to go to work, he got up and he went to work. That's it. (laughs) What do you do while you wait? You do your duties. You do what God has called you to do. You eagerly wait for when he is going to do what he said he was going to do. And in the meantime, you do what he's told you to do. That's what Zechariah does. In the temple's daily worship, it was his time to serve. So he went and he served. His role uh, at this time was to go to the temple to serve. And then out of those that were there to serve in the temple, uh, priests were chosen by lot to do specific things. And this one was to go in and offer incense on the altar of incense. Now, the temple has its main court where there's the big altar where the sacrifices are offered, where the animals are offered. And then there is the inner building that is in two compartments. One is the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is. And the other compartment has an altar of incense and uh, the table of showbread and the, uh, the candlestick is in there. So the priests could not all just barge in and do whatever they needed to do. It was a holy place. And so the priest that would go in and offer the incense, it was a great privilege Because there were so many priests that being able to go in and offer the incense meant uh, that you probably would only get to do this once in your life. 
Only once in your life you'd have this privilege as a priest to go in. And so Zechariah showed up at work and he was chosen for this particular special, special opportunity. And uh, while he does it, it says in verses 9 and 10, he was chosen to do this. All the people are outside waiting. Uh, They're praying outside because the incense symbolized here the prayers of the saints. So the priest is going in, interceding for the people, offering up this incense, praying, and the people are outside waiting for him to do his duty and come out. Zacharias was faithful in his duty uh, despite his burdens. He's faithful. Then he runs into an angel. Now, if you think this is really cool um, and you haven't got yourself in the mindset of a priest yet, um, there is a, a story of priests in the book of Numbers going in to offer incense before the Lord, and their incense was not the right incense. They did not listen to the Lord, and they were struck dead right there in the temple because of what they did. So if you're a priest standing in the temple and you see a mighty angel, you're probably wondering, is this what those other guys saw right before they died? This would be terrifying. Uh, Every time you see someone in scripture come into touch with an angel, they don't say, oh, what a cute, chubby little guy. No, they always are afraid, right? Because the the first words of the angels are almost always, do not be afraid. (laughs) It's okay. Calm down. You're going to live, probably. No, do not be afraid. So here, Zechariah is troubled, it says in verse 12, when he saw the angel, and fear fell upon him. That's a great, great vision, right? Falling on you. It's like just dumped on you. You're crushed with fear. Zechariah is faithful, he's godly, but he's afraid here. The angel's words to him are meant to be full of reassurance. He says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Now, I don't know what point in the process Zechariah is here. Has he already offered the incense? Did he say his prayer? Was he getting up? Was he about to leave? Uh, We don't know any of that. What was he praying exactly when he was in there? Again, we don't have a transcript. Is he talking about his prayer for a son that no doubt he had prayed many, many times? Um, Or is he talking about the prayers the priests would make in there for the people and for the kingdom to come and for the Messiah and deliverer? Well, the, the angel says, your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will call his name John. I think it's both are in view here. I think he's saying your prayers for the nation have been heard and you're going to have a son. Your prayers for a son have been heard. I doubt that Zechariah at this point in the temple is praying for a son. And the reason I say that is just by his response to the promise, right? His response is like, no, I don't know about that. How's that going to work? We're like old, like really old. That's his attitude. So that doesn't sound like a guy who just got up from praying, Lord, give us a son, does it? But he's prayed that many times. As he prays here, the angel assures him God's going to keep his promises, but he also assures him that he is going to have a son. And this is so encouraging to me. Because God is making it clear that darkness does not mean he's not at work. Silence does not mean he's absent. And just because you're old does not mean it's over. You don't get to the point where God is not at work. Whether you're old, whether you're young, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether things are looking up for you or things are looking down for you, God is always at work in this world. He is busy accomplishing his plans. 
Here John is going to be born. He is going to bring joy. This faithful older couple who has had many years of disappointment. They're going to have a son and he's going to bring joy and gladness. Not just to them, but many, it says in verse 14, will rejoice at his birth. Not that uh, many people are going to show up uh, and all bring greeting cards and diapers for them when he's born. But the reality that John the Baptist has come leading the way to the Messiah, that is going to be something that people rejoice about. Verse 15, notice the description of John. It says, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Earlier, um, Zechariah and Elizabeth are described as being righteous in the sight of God. And now the angel says their son is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. You know, as parents having a newborn baby, you're full of visions and dreams and hopes for that little one. Uh, Just seeing little Zoe up on the screen this morning held out there, and that's a bundle of hope, isn't it? A bundle of joy, a bundle of possibilities and excitement and wonder. Uh, But Zechariah and Elizabeth didn't have to wonder about a lot of things when it came to John. He said, John is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. Yeah, that's amazing. Um. Any, any child of Christian parents here today, I want you to know this is your parents' great hope and dream for you. Uh, not that you'll be rich and wealthy and never have any needs, although we probably want that for you too. We want you to be great in the sight of the Lord. I want you to seek the Lord. I want you to know that he is there and he deserves your worship John has some special instructions they have for raising John. He has to avoid some things. In verse 15, not to drink any wine or strong drink. And then it says he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. It's amazing. Uh, This wine or strong drink, the idea of getting intoxicated is contrasted here with the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that Paul uses the same kind of contrast. Uh, When you get alcohol in you, it influences you, right? That's why we say they're DUI, driving under the influence, that alcohol is influencing our thoughts, our reactions, our our, our everything about us, our bodies. Uh, So John is not to be marked by being influenced by those things, Instead, John, John is going to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. God is going to especially come on John in a very unique way, even from the womb, to accomplish his will. John is going to be a special child indeed. He's going to come as a prophet, preparing the way for the Messiah. The last book in our Old Testament and the last of the prophets in the Hebrew scroll of the prophets is a guy named Malachi. Malachi 4, the last chapter, ends with a promise. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of Yahweh. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. God is always at work. Even as Zechariah and Elizabeth are old, even as there's been hundreds of years of silence, even as the current days are dark, God is always at work. So I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what the thing is you feel God is silent about. I don't know what you, you may think, maybe you're not old, None of us really are that old, right? You may think you're not old, but there's some other disability. There's some other thing keeping me from being able to do what God wants me to do. I want you to know God is always, always, always at work. Look at this dear old couple. God is at work. God has not forgotten his people. 
He's not forgotten you. He's not forgotten his plans. He's not given up on them or abandoned them or decided, well, it's not going to work out. God is always faithful. He's always at work in his people. And all of his working is preparing for something. It's preparing for Jesus. All this working that we've seen so far in Luke is preparing to point the way to Jesus. John the Baptist is going to come. Why is he going to be great? Why is the Spirit coming on him in the womb? Why is he going to do all these wonderful things? Because it's preparing the way for Jesus. Jesus is what the world needs. And all of God's work in the world is preparing to point them to Jesus. The darkness or the disability or or the weakness that you feel is intended to point you to Jesus. They're things that God is using to point you to Christ. God is always at work. I love reading in the book of Acts, uh, Paul's sermon to the men of Athens. uh, And he describes to them how the God they don't know is always at work in the world in all these different ways. He's superintending, leading people to seek after him. God is always at work. Trust that. I mean, that's why we pray. We pray for ones that are far from God. We pray, Lord, would you be at work in their lives? Would you show yourself through their daily experiences? Would you let them know that you are there and that you are calling them back to you? We pray because we believe God is always at work in the world. And the more confidence we have in God's work, the more we pray. But I want us to look now at the response of Zechariah. And this is number two. God is always at work in his people. Now I know this is just a continuation of the first point, right? It is. Zechariah goes sadly from faithful servant to fearful and faithless. In verse number 18, Zechariah's response to this great news that he had long prayed for and hoped for, apparently now he's got to the point where he's given up on this. His answer actually is not a great deal different than the answer Mary's going to give a little later on. Like, how is this going to work? It's not the words that he says, and not even the question that he asks that is necessarily the problem, but it's the unbelief that's underneath this. He's not seeking an explanation of, Lord, okay, you're going to do this. How's it going to work? That's kind of what Mary does later on. She's like, I haven't known a man. How am I going to have a child? Zacharias is like, yeah, you say that, but I'm old. And my wife is advanced in years. I I mean, it's like he says, you know, Mr. Angel, um, I am really old. And my wife is really, really old. (laughs) She's advanced in years. Like, "Mm, how's this going to happen? Not going to work. Zechariah's question is faithless. He already had a sign. Look what was right in front of him. The angel of the Lord. That's a pretty good sign, isn't it? He had a sign and he had a promise because he had God's word that this was going to happen. And God was going to give them a son. But he didn't receive it. So this wonderful promise of God given to Zechariah would be heard by no one until after John the Baptist was already born because Zechariah would not be able to speak. I want you to see this about God's work in his people. Our ability comes from his authority. Our ability comes from his authority. 
How could Zachariah and Elizabeth have a child? It wouldn't be because of their physical ability. Because Zachariah was right. The time for having babies was long gone. It was over. It was impossible. But God's word had said they were going to have a child. So they were. This really shouldn't be surprising to you if you've read the Bible, right? This is a story that's like, I heard this before, right? You're, you're watching this show and you're like, I think I've seen this episode before, right? There's an older couple. They don't have a child. An angel shows up, says you're going to have a child. They're like, what? I can't believe it. And then they have a child. And it's a special child. It's like, why does that happen over and over in the Old Testament? You know, some people will point to that and say, look, the Bible is just full of fairy tales. It just recycles the same story over and over again to, to try to give people hope in some mythical thing. I don't know. The Bible tells that story again and again, and God does it again and again because he is pointing forward to the most unlikely birth and the most powerful savior from the most unlikely circumstances and that's going to be Christ who's going to come born not of an older woman who's past the time of giving birth but born of a, a young woman who is unable to give birth because she hasn't known a man Mary the virgin will give birth to the special son the insignificant one will give birth to the messiah And God is preparing the way all along, all along for his redeemer to come from unlikely circumstances. So why do we get discouraged when the circumstances are unlikely? Why why when things don't look like we expect them to look in what we want God to do or how we want our own growth to go or how we want our service to others to grow? Why is it that when it doesn't go the way we want, uh, we get so defeated? It's because we're a lot like Zechariah, right? We know it all, but we still struggle. We still struggle to believe. We still struggle to trust that from outside of us is our real Savior. From outside of our own strength is our real help. From outside of our wisdom is the wisdom we need. Uh, We struggle with this. So Zechariah receives this amazing vision, and then he has nothing else to say in the passage we've got. Later on, he, he will speak. But there is a judgment that comes. Now, this is nothing like the judgment that came to those priests that offered the strange fire because they died. God does not intend to kill Zechariah. He's got to go and, and be the dad to John. And God is not really harsh with Zechariah at all. He takes away his voice, but he does it in a way that can build Zechariah's faith. Here's what I mean by that Zechariah says, How's this going to work? We're old. How are we going to have a child? And the angel says, well, you're not going to speak from now until he's born. So immediately, Zechariah, I don't know if he tried to say something. (laughs) I think if he was smart, he didn't try to say anything right then. But the next time he tried to speak, whether it was then or when he went out, nothing would come out. He goes out before the people, right? And he's trying to talk. I don't know. Is his mouth moving? No words are coming out. Can he not... I don't know how that worked, but he couldn't speak. And people could see it and know. And you know what Zechariah could know? If God could take my voice away just like that, he's going to keep his promise. As long as I'm not speaking, I know that this is actually going to happen. This child is going to be born. And this child that's going to be born to me and Elizabeth is not just going to be some miracle baby of an old age couple. It's going to be a child that is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to be in this child before I even see his face. Before I hear his voice, the Lord is going to be at work in him. 
every time Zechariah couldn't speak, he could know that God had spoken. God was true. Even the Lord's rebuke was his reassurance. This is often the way God deals with us as his people. When we lack faith, sometimes there is rebuke. In fact, he promises to a church in Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. When God's people are faithless, God works. God works in us. God's work would not be dependent on Zachariah's faith. God was doing this. God was sending a Messiah. He was sending the Savior. He was giving them a son. Zacharias is silent. He faithfully does the rest of his service. He goes out to stand before the people and they would expect a blessing to be given, but he had no words to speak. He made signs to them. And uh, I don't know what it was like when he got home. But that would be just an amazing thing to be a fly on the tent wall or the whatever wall to see what would happen when he's trying to explain to Elizabeth what's going to go down. Uh, He certainly has the ability to write and and there's a tablet that's going to be brought later. So he's certainly able to communicate with her and explain what's going on, but not do it out loud. When least expected, God worked. So when we're surrounded, as it were, when we feel overwhelmed, that is the prime time for God to work. So don't be faithless, but believe. Yes, God can do the impossible, the improbable. He does it over and over and over. He can receive sinners. That's pretty improbable. He can rescue you from the punishment you deserve for your sins. That's improbable. He can turn your heart from chasing after the things of this world to bowing before him. He can do anything. This story reminds us that God is not silent. Now, Zechariah is, but at the end of our passage in verse 24, it tells us what happened. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, conceived. What do you know? I don't know if Gabriel visited Zechariah again, all right? It doesn't say he did. But if he did, I think he might just lean in and say, told you so, all right? God is faithful to his word. Zechariah couldn't speak it, but he could see it. As this baby began to grow and this became visible with Elizabeth, she is keeping in seclusion. But we know what she's thinking because she says it in verse 25. She says, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my disgrace among men. She says, all these years have gone by. All these prayers for a child have been not answered. But now the Lord's looking. His face is upon me. Now, we we know and Elizabeth knows that God always sees. But she's saying, now I feel it. Now I see it. Hold on in faith to God's promises. Because one day, in one unexpected way, the supernatural God will break in to your life, break into your circumstances, and show his power, show his strength, show his might. Zechariah did not believe God's words You've got the choice. Do you believe what God says? Do you trust him? Luke shows us here a faithful few in Israel. 
believing. Their faith is weak. It's faltering even. And yet God is there at work among them. God is there at work among those people to build them up, to strengthen them, to send his son to accomplish his work. He's preparing the way for Jesus. Jesus is the one that every person needs to hear his voice. And they need to decide, do I believe what he says or do I not? And if you choose not to believe Jesus' words, then you shut yourself up to judgment. And it's not judgment of being unable to talk before people. It's a judgment of being unable to stand before God forever. It's a judgment of condemnation. But no one has to face this because this Messiah has come. The Savior did arrive. Unlikely as it may be, it was right on time according to God's plan. Jesus has come and he offers forgiveness to those who come to him. Don't neglect him. Don't waver. Run. Run to Jesus. And dear believer, don't look at the darkness and the delay and think that God is not at work. Instead, look with eyes of faith to see how is this going to turn out? How is the Lord going to use this? Oh, man, this looks like it's going to be impossible. How is God going to work through this for his glory? Because he is. He is always at work. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Oh, Lord, we bring before you our burdens. We bring before you our fears. We bring before you, God, our struggles against temptation, our defeat even. We bring to you our weak faith. We bring it all to you, Lord, rejoicing that your faithfulness is great. That you are always at work. And Lord, we rejoice in the times you give us an opportunity to see your hand and to know you are working in unmistakable ways. Those strengthen and encourage our faith. But Lord, we pray that you'd help us to trust you even when it's dark and quiet because you are faithful and true. You are fulfilling your plans Christ will rule and reign forever. The wicked of this world will not prosper. God, we pray. We pray. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Help us to be found faithful when you come, eagerly expecting you to fulfill your promises. Not fearful, but faithful that you are always at work. We pray in Jesus' name.